The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 249. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart even. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second Doctor story, The Enemy of the World. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Excited about this one. I yes. like this one. Yes, this- same here. Same here. We'll get into that in a bit. Uh, this is really good. Uh, but first, I want to encourage the listener to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866. And join the, uh, the StarQuest fan club. Uh, I also want to let you know about another show on the network that you definitely want to listen to. And I'd, I'd be shocked if any of our Secrets of Doctor Who listeners are not yet listening to this, because you really, if you are a Secrets of Doctor Who fan, you're going to like this. And that's Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World. Where, oh. Yes, where Jimmy talks about, and, and I, uh, but mostly Jimmy, talk about mysteries, uh, natural, supernatural, uh, from the perspectives of faith and reason. Uh, a lot of fun. There's so much cool stuff going on. So many uh, X-Files-ish or uh, um, what are the other Doctor Who-ish sort of things that we could talk about. All kinds of stuff. Uh, we, we really have a lot of fun talking about it. And like recently we talked about the conspiracies uh, surrounding... 9-11 attacks, uh, the anniversary that just happened uh, last month. And so it's, uh, check it out. All of space and time, the entire universe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, visit it, so find it wherever you find, find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. But today we are talking about this second Doctor story. And Jimmy, could you give us a recap of Enemy of the World? The second Doctor, Jamie and Victoria, arrive in Australia in the year 2018, when a man from Mexico named Salamander is trying to become dictator of the world, taking it over by blackmail and murder one world zone at a time. It so happens that Salamander looks exactly like the second Doctor, and people who are opposed to Salamander want the Doctor's help to stop him by impersonating him. But, The Doctor isn't sure who's right and who he should trust in the conflict, and he insists on having proof. We eventually learn that Salamander has a group of people he's been keeping underground for the last five years, having told them that there's a nuclear war happening on the surface. These people are innocently and unwittingly help him cause natural disasters, like volcanoes going off, to assist with his plan, which they think is helping to end the nuclear war. In the final episode, it's revealed that the leader of Salamander's opposition, a man named Giles Kent, has been secretly in league with him from the beginning. Kent wants to kill Salamander and take his place as dictator of the world 
even though he previously seemed like the good guy. But this plan fails, and he tries to kill both himself and Salamander by setting off an explosion. That also fails, and Salamander turns the tables by pretending to be the Doctor and sneaking aboard the TARDIS. He and the Doctor finally come face to face, and he tries to kill the Doctor, but when the TARDIS is launched, Salamander is sucked out into the time vortex, never to be seen again, at least on the TV show. <laughs> the the end. The end. I am sure there's a big finish uh, production where Salamander shows up again. Uh, so, a couple of behind-the-scenes bits about this uh, story. It's the only story in this season of the second Doctor season that doesn't follow the base under siege format, monster format. So yeah. So yay! Yeah, they mm-hmm. realize they can do something different. Yeah. Yes, and 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 I have to say, I. I really like this one. Uh, yeah. The, the the other point I want to bring up was that until 2013, all but one of the episodes was missing from the BBC archives, Correct. and they found it in, I want to say Nigeria? Nigeria. They the yeah, they episodes. found it like a relay station in Nigeria, uh, and, so, and it completed the entire uh, series. So then they released, along with uh, Web of Fear, the next story, if I remember. I think it is the next story. Yeah. Uh, and that's missing one episode, uh, but they found all the other episodes there. And so they released it uh, digitally. This was the first serial, recovered serial that was released digitally via iTunes when iTunes was still a thing. Yeah. I remember Apple made a big deal out of it. BBC made a big deal out of it. You could buy it. And so, you know, I was one of the people that bought it when it first came out. It was, you know, so great to get to see this episode that had been lost for, you know, at that point, what, 30, 40 years and were able to sit and watch. I also got it and Web Web of Fear when they first came out on iTunes, and I remember before they came out, there was a rumor that they had actually found all of the missing episodes from Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. It turned out to only just be these two serials, but they were still great to get. Yeah, yeah. Given 2013, I mean, that's sort of momentous in the event that was the 50th anniversary, so a lot was happening in 2013 with with all that. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. And that was part of what fed into the, they found everything and they're going to release it for the 50th anniversary. That would have been nice. That's in an alternate timeline, I think. (laughs) And for those who aren't, aren't aware there, there's an active group of people that are, are searching for lost episodes. You know, they, they've now there, I think as years go on, you know, the hope gets less and less, but there are people who are currently still searching for these, you know, they're checking uh, old TV stations where. Uh, Doctor Who had been sent to by the BBC after it originally aired. They're checking private collections. Fans, illegal collections, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there there are people that are trying to find these episodes that are missing. And, and this is, again, this is one of them where they were able to find basically the entire serial. Right. Back in the early days, in the, you know, the 60s, they were, they were basically junking. The BBC would, like, wouldn't save these episodes. They'd just throw them out, which drives you crazy now. Yeah. They save them for about 10 years. And then in the 70s, they go, hey, we've got all these videotapes we're never going to use again, or these shows on these videotapes we're never going to use again, but we can reuse the videotapes. Let's do that. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't just from, uh, it wasn't just from Doctor Who they were doing no. this. It was from all of their older shows, in right. part because they were like in black and white and things like that. They weren't going to mm-hmm. be rebroadcasting them. And there's a lot of British television from the 50s and 60s that's missing as a result. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. Who's ever going to want to watch this again in 50 years? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah. So the thankfully we're they're recovering it wherever 
they sent out the, 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 the reels all over the world to the various English-speaking parts of the world. They're finding them in these little out-of-the-way archives, all dusty and such, and, and other places like that. So I'm, I'm grateful that we're finding these and can watch them. And because, this, like we said, this was a really fun story. Mm-hmm. This was, and it's unlike a lot of other Doctor Who. Yeah, it's also a six-parter, but it moves really fast yeah. for a six-parter, and it's got this twist in episode six that's big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you normally don't get a twist like that in episode six. It's also really nice to see Patrick Troughton having a chance to be evil. Yeah. And and it seems like in the salamander scenes, they've got him in bronzer or something to mm-hmm. fake suntan since he's supposed to be from Mexico. But Yeah. But he he does a a passable accent um, mm-hmm. as Salamander. I mean, it, you know, for a it, vaguely Mexican sounding accent, and it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, Salamander himself is more complex than you'd think because yes, right. even though he is this murderous dictator wannabe, he's and is exploiting these people he's got in this underground shelter. He you also get the sense that he kind of cares. Mm-hmm. For the people in the underground shelter, he's been bringing them food all this time, and uh, and he's, he's he's friendly with them in yeah. a way he's not with other folks. I found that Patrick Troughton's acting was was really good in this. I mean, I, I feel like yeah. he played not just two characters. I feel like he played three characters in the sense of he played the mm-hmm. Doctor, he played Salamander, and then he played the Doctor being salamander which wasn't exactly the same as salamander mm-hmm. and i thought there was a really clever and subtle bit of yeah, the, acting that he had the ac- the accent was a little bit different obviously mm-hmm. the, the mannerisms were a little bit different uh yeah so he, he was able to pull it off pretty well yeah this episode also fed into if you if you deep dive into the fandom there you will run across discussions of why do we have repeating faces in the Hooniverse? Uh-huh. Oh, sure. Because because the the first Doctor was a dead ringer for like this Abbot at the time of the French Revolution, right? The, se- <laughs> the second Doctor is a dead ringer for for Salamander, and of course the eleven the twelfth Doctor is famously a dead ringer for this Roman guy, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens with other characters too. It's not just yep. the Doctor, and yeah. so there are fan essays devoted to <laughs> how many faces actually exist in the Doctor Who universe and how often do they repeat and yeah. why. Uh, be- because there's only so many British actors. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, we actually have that in this episode because yeah. uh, Benick, the, the head of the power, the research, I was going to say power station because that's where they filmed it at, but the yeah. research station also played the uh, astronaut in the Android Invasion, the fourth Doctor story, the Android mm-hmm. Invasion. Right, And he right. was also Castellan in, uh, which was the story. It's another oh, yeah. uh, Invasion yeah. of Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really so again, slimy, another, another one. He effectively portrays really slimy guys. He does <laughs> he it well. Does. He was creepy with a bad haircut. <laughs> that haircut was awful. Uh, yes. <laughs> just, Be- beetle mop top fail but yeah, yeah i mean it's like someone took scissors at an angle he's like a toddler who got hold of the scissors it was not a good <laughs> the other thing that you mentioned jimmy is that this takes place around 2018 which is mm-hmm. kind of fun obviously since we're recording this a few years afterwards but i, I always have enjoy seeing the 60s the- this paleo futurism this idea mm-hmm. of you know, looking back at what the past thought the future would be when you're living in that time. And the 60s often look to the early 21st century as as this, you know, the beginning of the new millennium was a was a mm-hmm. thing. And so mm-hmm. 
just to see what they thought we would be like. And certainly we're nowhere as as different, I think, as often that the, the 60s thought we would be in some ways. And yet our technology is so much further than, right. than in, in some ways that they imagined. Yeah, they got the technology significantly right in at least three cases in this. I, I was taking notes on that. One of them is they have cell phones. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's a moment in the story where Astrid, uh, who is Giles Kent's assistant and is like this action lady oh, super spy without super being a awesome. spy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. She's great. But she's gone to the Central European zone and is talking to the Australasian zone, which is where the story starts. And she's got, it looks like a walkie-talkie, but she's using it to place a call to a terrestrial phone mm -hmm. in Australia. And so that's a cell phone. They also note they've got some sunspot interference, which is, you know, something you can have. But they've got, so they've got cell phones. They also have FaceTime. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because they talk to each other over TV screens occasionally. And they have something that is currently in the planning stages, which is basically suborbital rockets for passenger travel. Right. Yeah. We're told that you can get from the Australasian zone to the Central European zone in two hours by rocket. And right now, we have, I mean, we could have these now if we wanted them, but they actually are under development now of suborbital flights to get places really quickly like that. Yep. One thing the 60s thought we would have, which I kind of wish we did, was more hovercraft. Like, hovercraft yeah. was a thing in the 60s. And we really should, I really wish we had more hovercraft. Uh, well, it was such a. <laughs> it was such a cool new technology back then that they knew that we were going to keep with it. Right. The problem with hovercraft is you need very flat ground. It doesn't do well on any kind of rough surface. Yeah. So, uh, so it, it really on beaches, which is what this happens is on a beach. Speaking of the beach, the doctor like immediately lands in Australia and decides sees a beach and decides I'm going swimming. Which Victoria is aghast at this because her <laughs> Vic, her Victorian values of you know the age she comes from swimming was bad for you like that's it was a health at risk to go bathing which was kind of funny and, uh to and see. it sometimes still is depending <laughs> on the water you're using well yeah, in, exactly. in australia it could be really bad because <laughs> of what's living in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i love how that opening sequence where the doctor is just instantly childlike and mm -hmm. he's telling jamie and victoria to go in the tardis and see if they can find buckets and spades and Jamie doesn't understand what for, and Victoria explains that the doctor wants to make sandcastles. Yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor is stripping off his clothes, and he's got this long john underwear underneath that he then mm -hmm. just plunges into the sea and <laughs> yeah. frolics. Yeah. And ha is having this great time. And I loved, I love seeing this aspect of it. And then it's finally interrupted when the hovercraft arrives with these people who want to kill Salamander and think he's the second doctor, and they've got these fake Aussie accents. <laughs> so, so, so that are so bad, even my American ear can detect them. Yeah. And so, so welcome to the club, Australia. You also now get the BBC treatment. Yep. <laughs> right. Now, the guy who plays Jazz Kent, he's real Australian. So that, so that worked. But the, yeah, the rest were, were not real. Um, I, <laughs> I, speaking of the, like the Doctor frolicking, it's interesting because there's no way like you'd see the first Doctor like that or the third mm -hmm. Doctor. You might see the fourth Doctor frolicking in the ocean, kind of crazy like that. So, although get, he he would be equally likely to just make non sequitur snide remarks about the ocean, <laughs> this yeah. is true. 
Seventh Doctor, maybe Sixth Doctor, I doubt it. Um, and, and so it's kind of interesting to see like the these the different personalities and the way that they play the Doctor like this yeah. in in different ways. Now you know Matt Smith would have just dove right in, but yes, right, Matt Smith would have the Ninth Doctor not Capaldi certainly not. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, very yeah, a lot of fun. So uh, speaking of Astrid, so she's the one who rescues them in her personal helicopter. Uh, she comes by and, and picks them up, and she wants to know what kind of doctor he is. Yeah, um, and by the way, it's because of her helicopter we know how mm-hmm. what year it is because yeah. there's a license in the helicopter that we see on the back of the helicopter cockpit that right. says Ex- license expires December thirty first, twenty eighteen. Right, that's right, that's right. So it's yeah, sometime around 2018. Yeah, and so, but you mentioned Astrid. I really liked that character. She was really good. I mean, she yeah, mm-hmm. she was kicking butt. She was uh, she had uh, agency. I mean, she was uh, the one who figures out at the end what what's really going on with Giles Kent and the people in the the people underground that he's the one who brought them there on behalf of Salamander in the first place. Uh, so I, I really liked that character, and she would she would make a great uh, a, a great companion for the Doctor. Um, yeah, reminds she, me of she, a lot of different ones. She she has handgun skills and martial arts skills, and wears interesting <laughs> futuristic <laughs> fashions. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was she was uh, quite uh, attractive, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so she worked out. Uh, and um, yeah, so anyway, Astrid and Giles Kent. Now, the Doctor doesn't trust Giles Kent right off the bat. This is something I really liked, How and I had it in my notes in episode one. It had been a long time since I saw this, so I didn't remember the Giles Kent twist. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I remembered, you know, the underground people and everything like that. But um, I, 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 I liked and noted how the Doctor is actually being prudent when we show up in this political situation and he doesn't automatically trust the opposition to Salamander. Right. And he wants proof about any, any challenges, things he's told about Salamander and how bad he is. It's like, is there some other way to look at this? How do I know you're telling me the truth? And they keep that up for episodes. Now it kind of recedes a little bit after the first one, as the story gets moving. Mm -hmm. But they keep bringing it up, and what it's ultimately doing is it's setting up the final episode twist. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that instead of just trusting the first people that seem friendly, the Doctor realizes there are serious stakes here, and I can't just throw in my lot with one side prematurely. I really need to know what's going on with these people. This is another case of where the earlier, you know, Doctors are not the know-it-alls that the later doctors tend to be. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. come in and, and and say, oh, well, yeah, yes, of course, the early 21st century, this was this and that and everything else. And he knows everything that's going on and sort of, you know, ha- is the, the smartest guy in the room all the time. I mean, right. this is a, he was unsure of what's going on. He didn't really know what the situation was. And he hadn't been here, apparently, in, at least in this particular time period. Uh, and and I, I like that. I like the, 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 the limited doctor in that sense because it provides more drama and more more interesting interactions with the the, the characters. Yeah, you, you can imagine the new Doctor's like, oh yeah, I've heard of Salamander and he did all these things and I got to stop him. And it'd be yeah. like a one hour episode, and then 45 we'd get minute a, episode. We'd get a nice speech about, um, you know, values and human rights yep. and stuff. <laughs> 
So, yeah, and there's, as usual in this era, a refreshing lack of preaching yes. in mm-hmm. the episode. So the way the world is set up in this episode, apparently the United Nations has been replaced by something called the World Zone Authority, well, called the United Zones. Yes. So you have these groups of countries that are classified as different zones, like the Australasian Zone and the Central European Zone and the Eastern European Zone. And they're united in something called the World Zone Authority, and each zone has its own controller who has a local bureaucracy. And Giles Kent is the disgraced former head, I gather, of the Australasian Zone. Mm-hmm. And we we then meet uh, a the the leader of the Central European Zone, who's a guy named Denish, who's from Hungary, and and. Salamander is trying to replace him. He goes to Denish's second-in-command, a guy named, named Federin, who he has some evidence that he can blackmail him with. And he blackmails Federin into attempting to kill Denish so mm-hmm. that Federin can take his place. But since Salamander has the blackmail info... Federin will be under Salamander's thumb, and he's apparently been taking over the world one zone at a time mm-hmm. like this with blackmail and murder. Ultimately, Federin does not kill Denesh, and so Salamander kills Federin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's he's very ruthless. We also have the head of security uh, for uh, the World Zone Authority, a man named Bruce, who is rather stern, but turns out to be a good guy. Yeah, um, that was a surprise. The, yeah, the doctor The doctor realizes after meeting him, he is a man of honesty and integrity who can be trusted once you show him that you really do have the world's best interests at heart. So that's a nice bit of complexity. In terms of one of the things that's driving uh, Salamander's rise to power because this was filmed in the 60s, there was this assumption we're going to have massive world food shortages in the future, mm. you know, which was a big concern at the time. And so Salamander has invented something, and this is also typical of this era of Doctor Who, some new technological invention that is important to the plot, but we don't really see a lot of it. Salamander has invented something called the Mark VII Suncatcher. And what it does is it stores sunlight in concentrated form and then can re-release it. And what that does for you is it allows you to grow three or four crops of food per summer. Mm. So, And presumably in winter, too, but they mention three or four crops a summer. And in places of the world that are normally too cold for that. So... They refer to the great Canadian wheat plains and the great Ukrainian wheat plains, mm-hmm. and they've got 10,000 robot harvesters producing 50 million tons of flour a day or something like that. Mm. Yes. We call them we call them heat lamps now. <laughs> Just yeah. Yeah. Giant. Well, these are very, giant. very, very big, yeah. giant very heat big lamps. Heat lamps. Yeah, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure that they actually do grow wheat in Canada and the Ukraine. Yeah, they do. Yes. But, yeah, they actually uh, they grow wheat just north of me. I mean, yeah. about like uh-huh. two hundred miles north of me, they grow wheat in Canada. So yeah, they I absolutely guess, do. Yeah, I guess but the idea is they grow multiple crops of it. That, yeah, and, and they name these cold places with a colder reputation for mm-hmm. impressiveness. Right. Exactly. So I I like that 
Salamander is not a cartoonish or campy bad guy. He's a serious villain. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. a, they treat him seriously. Like the whole story is very James Bondish. It's, it's got mm-hmm. that very mm-hmm. you know, super spy sort of vibe. But he's not like I don't know. Yeah, the, only with more pleather clothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, but he's not like you know I'm trying to think of like Bond villains like. Goldfinger. He's not sitting there kind stro- of over the top. stroking a cat as he's, you're going to die now, Mr. Bond. <laughs> I expect you to die. No, yeah, he's not, uh, he's not Blofeld, you know, that sort of thing. He's, he's more, much more serious a character. So that was interesting. He, Salamander also has this servant who works for him. Her name is Faria, his food yeah, taster. She's great, too. I like oh, her. Yeah. She, and at one point, she, like, she hates him. And the, he's got, he's got some hold over her. And she, and they never tell us what exactly it is, which is sort of refreshing. I mean, you don't need to reveal every single detail about everybody, but you just know she she hates him. She has to work for him. And at one point calls him a brujo, which I remember from Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World when we talk about zombies. That's a that's a Haitian word for a sorcerer. Uh, so. uh, actually, that's bocor. Brujo is Spanish for oh, a warlock or sorcerer. Oh, okay. So, oh, and right, 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 right. Bruja the- is witch. Yeah, and they even gotcha. they even say it in line uh, in the the episode of it's where you know where he's from. That's what they call sorcerers. Okay, so Spanish. Of course, he's from Mexico. So oh, okay, okay. That's what I got confused in my mind where I heard it. So I must have heard it somewhere. But uh, yeah, yeah. But Brujo. Uh, so he's he's got some kind of hold. Now he's not literally a sorcerer. We don't see him performing magic, mm-hmm. but he does some sleight of hand she, sort of things. She he's means very, he's a political sorcerer. Yeah, right. He's very, very quick to, and easy to manipulate other people. I, I like how when she, when Farina uh, is talking to the doctor and Giles Kent, she admits he's blackmailing her, and mm-hmm. he blackmailed her into be his, being his personal servant. Mm-hmm. And Giles Kent is like, "Well, what did he have on you?" And the doctor is like, "Everyone has their flaws. We don't need to know that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That was actually. I mean, just sort of brushes it off. We don't need to know. That would be a, an extra no. confusing detail. We don't really need. Yeah. Now, now, oh, now but, remember, it's it's not blackmail. It's comprehensive insurance. <laughs> right. Comprehensive insurance. <laughs> By the way, another cold reference we have reflecting the sun catcher, although they don't make a big deal out of it, is when Salamander poisons Federin to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. He poisons this wine made for him in Alaska. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yes. So they've uh, got vin- vineyards in Alaska now. Mm, yep. And it's not ice wine, <laughs> which is the thing. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of, of interest, uh, little bits, uh, Benick, we mentioned Benick before, who's running the research center, uh, Kent has set up a caravan or what we would call a camper, uh, on the outskirts of the research center so they can, you know, spy on it. And, uh, Benick sends a, a, uh, a guard to, you know, uh, make him leave to kind of give him an incentive to leave. So what does the guard do? He breaks all his crockery. <laughs> How could I possibly stay now? <laughs> All my crockery is broken. I just thought I don't that have was plates. <laughs> I can't make tea now. I mean, what am I going to do? I just thought that was a very funny little uh, bit, bit they th- put in there. Uh, another little thing, a, uh, a minor character that I enjoyed was uh, Griff, the grumpy ch- uh, chef. Oh yeah, at oh, the, yeah. in the European, the Central European zone. So Jamie and Victoria, the doctor sends them to the Central European zone to collect with Astrid to kind of spy and collect the evidence of uh, Salamander's evil uh, so that the doctor knows whether or not he should impersonate him. And Victoria has, basically has no skills, so they put her in the uh, in the kitchen where she's peeling potatoes. And, but and, Jamie, and, 
And yeah. she, it even in the kitchen, has no skills because <laughs> right. she's she's from the upper class. Mm-hmm. They had servants to make their food in her house. Yes. So when Griff, the grumpy chef, is in interviewing her, it's like, what do you know? She can describe food and vaguely what kind of ingredients are in it <laughs> and how awesome it tasted, but she has no clue how to make it. <laughs> right. And, and so he says, get over there and start peeling those potatoes. Right. Yeah. Now, J- Jamie, the Scottish warrior, uh, has has proven his uh, warrior abilities, and he's made a security guy oh, through a setup. A, yeah, yeah. This is a great scene where Salamander is like on the porch with his, of some building with um with security guards around, and he's talking to a guy, and Jamie bursts onto the you know onto the porch and mm-hmm. disarms one of Salamander's guards, and then holds Salamander at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. And and says, "Hang on, you got a bomb in your speakerphone." And he takes the speakerphone and throws it off the porch. At which point, Astrid, who's in on the plot, sets off an actual bomb to make it look like yep. the the speakerphone um, was a bomb. And this was all an attempt to get Salamander that Jamie has now thwarted. Right mm-hmm. and. Salamander is then disappointed with his own guard, but pleased with Jamie for having saved him and gives him a job as one of his guards. Right, yep. right. And yeah, so go Jamie. <laughs> yeah, actually really Jamie. nice scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I like um, uh, around this point in the plot, we have, we have uh, Astrid calling back to Australia to tell Giles Kent that she is arranged to meet with the head of the uh, Central European Zone under a disused yeti uh, under a disused jetty and the doctor <laughs> the doctor is listening in and is like a disused yeti and, yeah. and giles, giles kent is like jetty jetty <laughs> little callback there to a couple yep. episodes ago and yeah. preview to next one well, right they, right right there, there's another callback because they're uh, doctors asking what's going on who's this salamander and oh we've been out of touch we've been on ice you might say the <laughs> right, previous yeah, episode right. was time. the ice warriors that's right that's right so uh, there, I also thought it was interesting. So Denesh is the, like we said, the leader of the Central European Zone, and as a part of a way to convince him to fall under Salamander's control, uh, Salamander has uh, volcanoes go off uh, and, in and, Hungary. In Hungary, and mm-hmm. to kind of prove how Denesh is just incapable and needs his help, and you know, so this it goes off, and there's presumably devastation and lots of people dying because they don't really usually have volcanoes in Hungary. And, and, and they talk about all those poor mm-hmm. people who are dying. And then yep. they kind of blase. And at one point, Dennis is arrested, but you know, let's get him a nice steak dinner. And it's like, everyone's kind of yeah. blase about this disaster that's going on as we speak. And nobody really cares very much about the people. I don't know whether that was an intentional, a way of showing that pretty much everybody in control here is not all that invested in the well-being of the people around them but are all invested in power for its own sake even the even the so-called good guys i don't know if that was intentional or just we left it out of the story because we didn't want to go there i think it's a reflection of the upper class of the of the mm-hmm. class system at the time and mm-hmm. earlier that they're that they're coming out of um where the upper class really is kind of concerned with itself and does have compassion for the lower classes, but also isn't gonna lo- like lose too much sleep over it, right? But because we're fellow upperclassmen, we we're gonna treat each other a certain way. So yeah, the prisoner gets steak dinners and doesn't uh, 
doesn't need to be put in a cell, just guarded and things like that. Mm. Yeah. So, and then later on... Whether that's meant to be satire or not, I don't know. Right. Right. So later on, the when you mentioned about how the security chief, Bruce, turns... At first, I was a little confused by that. I'm like, why would he, like, he? He seemed so much in Salamander's camp. And I guess in my mind, I thought, if he's that high up under Salamander, he n- must know what Salamander is, what kind of guy he is, uh, and and wouldn't w- wouldn't be turned by someone saying, no, no, look, he's a bad guy. You shouldn't follow him. Yeah. And- I, I saw this. I saw it coming, but I think they could have set it up better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they describe him initially as if he's like Salamander's head of security. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think he may be the head of security for the world, uh, for the right. World Zone Authority. That's correct. What tipped me off, though, was in his interactions with Salamander. It's clear that he doesn't spend a lot of time with Salamander, mm-hmm. and and is not one of his intimate confidants. Right. There are regularly things that Bruce complains to Salamander about not knowing, and why are you doing it this way? Why aren't we doing it this other way? And so it was clear to me that they weren't all—they weren't just like buddy buddies on the same page. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first time—the first time we see him is when he's interacting with the doctor. In the first time, the doctor is impersonating Salamander, and they're arguing. Right. Bruce is arguing from the beginning, and you know, if, if he was a security guy that was under salamander's thumb you know he would he might put up a token objection but you wouldn't actually sit there and argue with him yeah about right. these things so that was kind and, of a that was kind of a hint that there that this wasn't quite the uh he's the, the security guy directly under salamander but he's responsible for salamander security just as the world uh world zone authorities security leader okay yeah and then jamie and victoria end up getting revealed and arrested mm-hmm. and sent back to the Australasian zone where they're going to be tortured by Benick. Yeah. Now there's, al- there's also an interesting jump uh, at the, cause normally we have a cliffhanger, you mm-hmm. know, at the mm-hmm. end of every episode. And then we pick up immediately uh, after the, after the cliffhanger, or, you know, we actually back up a little bit in time. Right. And this had a couple of interesting things with the cliffhangers. One is that they're not all somebody is in immediate danger. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes it's just a dramatic revelation. Mm-hmm. Then also there's I guess there's three interesting things about the cliffhangers in this serial. Uh, the second is we actually because we get to re at least I watched them back to back, and because they're all there, mm-hmm. I could tell hey they refilmed this. Mm-hmm cliffhanger coming right. into the next episode they're not just playing the tape over again this is something that was common in uh, serial fiction of the time i remember as an adult going back and watching the dark shadows or some of the dark shadows right. soap operas that i watched as a five-year-old because they had vampires and werewolves in them yeah and it's very clear on dark shadows when you come back the next day they're just refilming this scene Mm-hmm. They're they're not playing videotape for you yeah. of what they filmed previously, and and so you can pick up little differences in the actor's performance and in the you know the shots mm-hmm. and stuff. And you could see that here in this serial too. The third interesting thing is that coming out of episode two and into episode three, there's a big time jump. Yeah, you have it's not we're not coming back to the same moment. It is some time later, mm-hmm. and that 
to me was unique. I don't recall that happening else in in other mm-hmm. Doctor Who serials where, you know, you had a cliffhanger and then, oh, and now it's sometime later. Well, right? and episode three was the one that was, uh, that they had previously. So right. I, I'm wondering if maybe there was some reason why there's part cut off of it, like the, the cliffhanger part was cut off of it at some point, And that's why it was, because it was kind of a stark jump from the end of the cliffhanger of the second one to all of a sudden the start of the third. You know what I mean? Obviously, at the opening credits or whatever. But I just, I wonder if that there was some reason why that little bit of the cliffhanger of them being captured and being sent back was cut for some reason. It's possible that's how the storyline actually went to, though. I mean, just for some reason, they did it a little bit differently. I don't know, but it just, Mm. yeah, it was was very noticeable. And, And throughout the serialization era of classic Who, it was very common for them to refilm the cliffhangers, you know, because you would, because right. sometimes they would play through the whole cliffhanger. Sometimes the, right at the end of the cliffhanger, it would immediately change, you know, it right. would change just a little bit. Uh, so, but that's, so that was, yeah, but this, this one was very noticeable. Number the third, mm-hmm. third episode. Yeah. It seemed to, it worked for me. It just was noticeable. It's like, oh, wait, we're not back at the same moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so w- when, uh, Benek is going to torture Jamie and Victoria. The doctor comes in as uh, Salamander with Bruce, and he's yeah. going to try to prove to Bruce that what he's t- been telling them about uh, Jamie and Victoria and himself is true by provoking them as Salamander. And it's, it was a it's a fun and interesting little scene that he has to kind of go through. And in fact, at the mm-hmm. end, ends up you know Jamie, Jamie, stop! It's me, the doctor. Don't hit me because he's. <laughs> And in fact, has to, to, yeah, go ahead. He pretends to play the recorder to to show him, because of course he left the recorder in the TARDIS on Jamie's orders, but uh, (laughs) he pretended to play the recorder to to show that it was really him. Right. And and it was, and Bruce is like, what's a TARDIS? Oh, it's just a place that's common to all three of us. (laughs) Yeah. But I I really did like that scene because they don't set it up in any way. They just have. Patrick Troughton and Bruce waltz into the room where they're holding Jamie and Victoria about to be tortured, and they get mm-hmm. the torture guy, Benick, out of there. And then Salamander, or Patrick Troughton, pr- continues to be Salamander and, and provokes Jamie and Victoria. And it does reveal to Bruce that, yeah, these people are not, uh, not yeah. just terrorists. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned earlier that Astrid does find out what's really going on with the people in the in the the fallout shelter the bu- the bunker uh she ends up in fact finding her way in there through a tunnel uh mm-hmm. the, the salamander had killed the leader when he figured out yeah that he'd been lied to right we should probably talk about the bunker so salamander at the research station in australia has there's this records room and salamander can go in there to deal with to work on the records Privately, these are like, I guess, where he has a lot of blackmail information on people. Mm-hmm. And nobody is allowed in there. In fact, the when he's in there, and in fact, the locks work such that once they're switched over, they can only be open from the inside. So nobody can get in and interrupt him. And what he's really doing is he's got a, um, he's got a secret panel to a room that it's basically like a forbidden planet scale elevator into, <laughs> down into the ground. And he'll get in this elevator and go down and meet with the people underground. And there are, there are visible differences between the people who live underground and the people who live overground. 
a part of this is conveyed by the costuming. Mm-hmm. The people above ground are wearing these sparse, milit- vaguely militaristic fashions, frequently mm-hmm. made out of vinyl. Mm-hmm. And the people underground are actually wearing cloth clothing with prints. Yep. So they have a much softer feel and um, and a much more organic feel than the people living on the surface. Some of them have been down there. They've all been down there for five years, but mm-hmm. some of them were teenagers when they went down there, and now they've grown up and are dissatisfied. And they was like, right. why can't we go back to the surface? I just want to see it. But Salamander is telling them it's devastation up there. There's radiation. For some reason, he's able to survive the radiation and bring them food. But but other people, they talk like, if you go up there, you'll die from the radiation. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, the guy who's in charge down there, a guy named Swan, is unloading supplies that Salamander has brought them. He's like, put them put them on a conveyor belt, and so everyone's taking the supplies off the conveyor belt. And it, on one of the boxes, there's a torn piece of newspaper mm-hmm. with a date from the previous year, so from 2017. And um, and and we also do, I guess, see the 2017 date on it. Right. And we're told it's from last year, so that would be further evidence we're in 2018. And it's about a a, a holiday liner sinking. Yep. And he's like, if there's a nuclear war up there, how is it how is there a holiday liner traveling around and why would it be news that a holiday liner has yeah, sunk exactly. in the middle of a nuclear war? Right. And mm-hmm. and so Swan can convinces and kind of forces salamander to take him to the surface and salamander then slugs him with a lead pipe and leaves him to die right right at which point astrid finds him because she's found a tunnel down into the uh underground facility Mm -hmm. one one thing i like is uh the makeup that they did for the people underground, they look very pale very gaunt dark underneath you know dark bags underneath their eyes you know they look like they've haven't seen the sun in five years. I mean, they look and they've yeah. had not very good diets because, of course, salamanders, you know, not feed, not feeding them luxuriously to try to make it look like, oh, it's so hard to find food, but I'm able to go out there and find food for you and things like that. Although, you know, it, but of course, you know, with that's a lot, that's part of the lie is he has, he has basically a budget and they bring that up. Why in this place it has like a dozen people working in it? Is there a budget for feeding 30 people? You right. know, so there's, that's part of part of the lie, but they do a good job of making them look like they've lived underground on on you know very malnutrition diets and things like that. And even though it didn't involve malnutrition, after a year of COVID and eating out of cans and not going to the grocery store, I really sympathized with those people because mm-hmm. <laughs> as the boxes are coming off the conveyor belt, there's like one food item in every box. Yep. So right. it's like just a, here's a box of meat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, in order to make an interesting meal, you need more than one ingredient. Yeah. But, right. But yeah. Spam. These, these, yeah. <laughs> Potted meat. Uh, yeah. I really liked the young man, Colin, uh, mm-hmm. the one who was so insistent on being allowed to just see the sun. I just want to see the sun. And I, he, like, he was so insistent and you could just feel for, for him because you know he's he's probably 25 21 years old you know he was a teenager when they went down there so let's say he was 16 when they went when he went down there and he hasn't seen the sun in 5 years and just wants to see the sun 
I, 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 dude, you're giving me COVID flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, the poor guy probably, if he's still around uh, today, he probably had the same problem last year uh, as we record. <laughs> but but the, wow, that would be actually interesting to talk to these actors now. Like you were filming something that took place in 2018, and now in 2020, you actually did spend a year in lockdown. So how does that feel? <laughs> be honest with your feelings. Uh, it's for science. So, uh, sorry, Princess Bride flashback. So, hmm. so uh, Astrid does find out the true story, and the doctor ends up tricking Kent because the because uh, Kent uh, holds the doctor at gunpoint, and not knowing uh, Kent doesn't know that the the camera's on and they're watching from outside. Uh, he tricks Kent into revealing that he was in on the plan. He's the one who got the people down into the shelter before the quote unquote nuclear war started, um, and Salamander betrayed him because. And, and you know removed him from his office because he salamander knew that kent was coming for his for his position um yeah and so and, and yeah. the original reason they went down there into the shelter was it was for an endurance test in case there was an atomic war and then it's like oh and guess what there was you get to stay down there now right yep. right uh so you get kent and salamander running around in the tunnels underneath at one point um salamander shoots kent uh, and Kent manages, uh, having been gut shot, to turn and pull a lever that is a self-destruct for the yeah. the, the, the research mm-hmm. station. Be- but because so. remember, folks, being shot in the stomach is one of the slowest ways to die. Yeah. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> if you want to give your opponent time to pull the lever to blow you both up, that's mm-hmm. where you want to shoot him. Right. <laughs> Why well, I, I think shoot him in the head, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> or heart. I didn't think we didn't mention what the people are doing down there. They're not just surviving the atomic war. They're the ones causing the natural disasters. Right. Yeah. Right. They're the ones causing the volcanoes and the earthquakes and all this stuff. Somehow, Thinking, by some magic machine, they're able to make these disasters happen on Salamander's demand. Yeah. We co- we mentioned that briefly earlier. It's something I wish they'd explored a little bit more. Uh, they they allude to why they're doing it. They 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 think that. By doing this, it's gonna, they're harming the enemies of world order, presumably the mm-hmm. other side in the nuclear war they think they're in. But they could have spelled that out a little bit more. I wish they'd, I wish they'd made that a little more concrete. And, and that was, that was one of the turning points for the people underneath is when they realized there wasn't a war. The war, at first they thought the war was over because they, the salamander got confronted and then later realized there hadn't been a war. Then they realized that salamander was having them kill people. For his power instead of right. to actually end the war. Yeah. And that's what really turned them against him and caused them to. I also like it when Astrid gets down into the bunker because she initially she comes through the tunnels. She finds uh, Swan and he dies and but tells her to resist Salamander because now he knows Salamander's a bad guy and she vows mm-hmm. she'll do that. And she then keeps he also tells her that there are more people down there. So she keeps going and she finds the bunker. And when she gets into the bunker, they immediately attack her because they're afraid she's radioactive. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she's got to explain, no, 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 no. There has been no war. What are you talking about? Salamander has been lying to you. Yeah. And there's really nice drama as she's trying to convince them. And they're afraid afraid she's this person, radioactive woman, who's come and Mm -hmm. contaminated their living space. Well, they put her in the decontaminator that Salamander has, which is really a, a, a fake, you know, box that has a dial that whenever you pass the uh, 
the invisible beam, it says, oh, you're full of radiation. And then the dial goes down again as it, quote unquote, sucks the radiation out of you. And she's like, look, I'll put a ruler through it. Is the ruler radioactive? No. (laughs) Yeah, because one of their rulers they've had down there this whole time. So she she proves, no, he's been faking this radiation from the surface stuff. Right, right. And and as you mentioned, Jimmy, in, your, in the recap, Salamander almost gets away with getting onto the uh, the TARDIS, pretending to be the Doctor, and and trying well, to get them to take off. He gets away with that part. Well, yes, yeah. yes, he, he, and he's trying to get Jamie and Victoria to activate the TARDIS and fly away in it. And Jamie's like, "But Doctor, you said never to touch the controls. I don't know what I'm doing, you know." And uh, mm-hmm. Salamander says nothing because he doesn't want to give away his accent because he hasn't figured out how to do the Doctor apparently. Uh, and that's when the real doctor shows up and they have this tussle. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Salamander falls out into the time vortex. I was wondering as we were as we were getting close to episode six, because I didn't remember the details. Mm-hmm. Are the doctor and Salamander going to meet? Because, I mean, if you have the same actor playing two parts, you want them to meet. Right. right? You want a conflict between them. And I was thinking as we're getting close to episode six. I remember I'd remembered someone get sucked out into the time vortex, but I didn't remember it was Salamander in this episode. But as as we're getting close to the end, I'm thinking, you know, the limitations of children's television at the time might have been such that we're not going to have the kind of face-to-face encounter that right. this kind of story calls for. I remember year, I mean even years later in the 1980s when they do the Will and Thomas Riker episode of The Next mm-hmm. Generation, mm-hmm. and we it, it, it had been done for a while that you would have one actor appearing on screen with him or herself. I mean, that's the premise of the Patty Duke right. show, where they would use split screen and stand-ins, so you'd see you know, the, front, the face of the actor or actress and the back of the mm-hmm. head of their stand-in. But it was always clunky, and so when they did the Will and Thomas Riker episode of Next Gen, it was impressive to the yeah. audience that now digital technology had got to the point that that Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. is not only able to appear on screen with himself, but to like walk around himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that was impressive, and that was like a first in TV history to have that kind of interaction between the actor playing two parts. And so I was thinking, you know, as we get farther into this, the Doctor and Salamander may not meet, but then they finally do in the last episode, and we have them like nose to nose as they're wrestling over the TARDIS console before Salamander gets sucked into the time vortex, which yeah. is just so horrifying. Right. Yeah. And we even see him, the camera follows him into the time vortex, and we see him plunging through it. Mm-hmm. And it's really effective. I really liked that. Well, and the episode ends, this, this whole serial ends with yeah. the, them still trying to get control of the TARDIS and close the doors and trying to hold on and not get sucked out themselves. And so th- exactly. and that goes into the next one, The Web of Fear. So any other notes on this episode, this story, Father Corey? Um, so there's, they show the volcano footage. And of course, it's stock BBC volcano footage that they reuse in a couple more years for the opening to the Inferno, the episode yeah, Inferno. Right. It's the same exact volcano footage. Of course, that one, that stuff's in color instead of that time. I got a kick out of when uh, there's a scene where they're trying to distract the guards. Uh, Astrid, she's trying to escape and distract the guards. So she, quote unquote, kills Giles and, and uses ketchup 
for blood, yes. because of course ketchup looks exactly like blood. Dumbest guard um, ever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that was I think that was all I all I had, but it was like I said, I, I I'm with you guys. I enjoy this. This is a great episode. It's great that it is complete. You know, it is, it mm-hmm. is, I've said it before. It is such a difference to watch these episodes, the full video as it was originally broadcast, instead of like a recreation and animation. Um, telesnaps, especially, just don't even cover it. It's, it's great to see this entire episode, which is a great episode in yeah. full video, the original, the original broadcast. It's, it's fantastic. Yep. Jimmy? There's another piece of reused footage in this, which is Astrid's helicopter, even though she's not in it, it it blows up at one point. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of reused footage from a James Bond movie of the period. Oh, yeah. Those movies were in color, but this one, but this one, I guess they've, you know, taken the color out of it. Yeah. Also, there is a phone that they use, and I've seen it before. This is a futuristic looking phone. So it's 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 not cord, it's not fully cordless but there is like a cord that comes out of it but the phone is built into one handset there's mm-hmm. there's not like a cradle you put it in and it's a very interesting looking phone I've seen it in other British sci-fi shows like it's it's I'm sure it's in the prisoner yeah I think you're right but it yes. it has Space a flat, 1999 too yeah yeah it has a flat base so you can sit it on a table and then it has a long arc, kind of almost flat, but slightly arching extension that goes up. And together, it, the two parts, which are just one solid body unit, you put it up to your ear. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's very angular and sleek looking. And it, it is cool looking. I mean, it's not as good as an iPhone, but, you know, for <laughs> I wouldn't want one. But in back in the day, it would have wanted one. It looks really nice. I did some searching, and I found similar one-piece upright phones, but they were all much more rounded and organic-looking than this. This is very angular and clean, mm-hmm. and I'm, I wasn't able to find out what the brand name of it was. So one of the bits of paleofuturism that was in this episode was that you mentioned that they have like Zoom or FaceTime or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I, it's kind of funny because until about five, six, seven years ago, the, people had said, "Oh yes, the promise of of tel- of a video telephone, we were promised that for decades, starting in the the forties and the fifties and the sixties, and mm-hmm. it's never going to happen." People decided we don't want to be on camera when we're on the phone, and then suddenly, bam! <laughs> yeah. Now it's Zoom and FaceTime everywhere, and it's kind of funny to see how quickly th- what we thought was a failed promise became reality. Because of uh, because of various technologies and situations, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I've noticed. Even even I've come around on that. I find myself when I want to meet people these days, like mm-hmm. I don't. I want to see them. I don't just want to hear their voice. I mean, if it's a friend, it's not a big deal. I know them. Right. But mm-hmm. if I'm meeting someone for the first time, it's like, can we set up a Skype or a Zoom? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I want to look the person in the eye as I get to know them. Yes. Right. Exactly. So. I want to mention something about the next uh, second Doctor serial that we're going to be getting to when we come back around to that, which we we mentioned before, is the Web of Fear. Unit. Yes. Well, yeah, and the, the Brigadier uh, shows up, mm-hmm. uh, except as Colonel, uh, this one, yep. Nicholas mm-hmm. Courtney. And it's interesting, we mentioned that all but episode one of the serial were missing from the BBC archives and were found at the same time mm-hmm. as those for The Enemy of the World. There was a new release 
of this episode of of Web of Fear in this past August, as we record this in 2021, okay. on DVD, Blu-ray, and Steelbook, which is a special DVD thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it has an animation of the missing third episode. So they've recreated right. it. That's still missing. So in black and white and in color. Uh, so uh, it will be nice when we get back around to that. I want to be able to talk about that as we, as we come back around. So it's it's kind of nice right. that these sorts of things are still, as we've said, being found or and or recreated. And so it's a nice if you if you can't watch the as it was mm-hmm. aired originally, at least getting that reconstruction and animation is fun. Daleks right. master plan. Daleks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plan. Oh, that's gonna be a big one. Yes, but but if if you watch the 2013 release, the one that you would buy the same with, with the enemy of uh, enemy of the world, they did telesnap recreation for the third episode. So you have yeah. the full audio, but they are just doing the telesnaps. So right. that, again, that's not not as good as the animation, but it, it still tells, helps you to see what the story is. It's yeah. also really good they found enemy of the world because there were no telesnaps of this one. Mm. Yeah, right. Interesting. Are there others that are just completely gone? I think we we um, well, Marco Polo was every, missing. Ev- everything has audio. Okay, and most things have telesnaps, mm-hmm. which allows recreation, fan recreations, and stuff, and uh, eventual animation. But uh, nothing is completely gone down to the script level. We at least have audio of everything. Oh, good. I think that should do it for our discussion today. Uh, as as usual, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including William T., Mary Claire L., C.D., Christopher B., and Raymond P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And, of course, we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We want to hear from you. What did you think of The Enemy of the World? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Rings of Akhenaten or Akhetan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I wrote Akhenaten, but it's not Akhenaten. It's not it's an not Egyptian pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Redhead, is that your wife? Right. This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs>